So, you know, when we, when we worship the Lord, the, the, the heart that we should have is not, man, I hope I'm in tune or, oh, I really like the way this person sings. But the heart that we should have is, you know what, Lord, this is me telling you how much I appreciate you because I recognize what you've done in my life. And so once you start thinking of worship as your response to God because your eyes have been opened to what he's done, it changes your idea of what it means to worship God, right? So you can understand why we do that in song, right? Whenever somebody gets up and they start singing the song and the worship starts playing, the lyrics are usually something like about how good God is and how great the Lord is and how much we thank the Lord or how much we appreciate all that God has done. But... Really, all those lyrics are doing is pointing our attention towards God, right? Pointing our attention towards him and being thankful for who he is and what he's done. Welcome, guys. Um, and so I want here's what I want to do. I want to enter into prayer with a heart of worship. And then I'm going to sing one song, probably something easy that most people know. And then I'm going to go into teaching the word. And so everything from the moment when I start praying to after I'm done singing is going to be from the heart of worship. And you'll notice that it'll be a little bit different than just normal prayer requests and asking for things. However, there is one request that I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray for Gigi for her anxiety because I overheard the conversation. But other than that, most of my prayer will just be praising to the Lord. Okay, so join me, if you will, in prayer. Father, we come before you because, first of all, we recognize, God, how good you've been in our lives. We know that we wouldn't even be here tonight if you didn't bring us here, Lord. And we know that we wouldn't have an ability to comprehend you or your love or be set free from our, um, our chains, Lord, had you not opened up our eyes, had you not won our hearts with your love. This evening, we come before you to praise you, Lord, for who you are. We praise you for the breath that you've given us in our lungs for the family and people that love us in our lives. And even when we have family that has misrepresented love, you've given us a family in Christ that has showed us what true love is. We thank you so much for using Angel in this place and for calling him to be here. We pray for him and for his wife. And we thank you for the effort that they put in, Lord, and the, the, the hours put in to deliver your word, Lord. And we thank you so much for speaking through them. We thank you that you are able to speak through regular people, Lord. And it's not that they're holy enough for you to use them. But really, it's just because you're so good that you're willing to speak to us through any means necessary. We thank you for that, Lord. I know that in this room, there are some who are aware of some of the things that you've delivered them from. There are people here who were once enslaved, Lord, and now they've been set free. And we praise you for that, God. We thank you for this little room that protects us from the cold. And this place that we get to get together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that opens up our eyes and allows us to understand your word. And I do ask specifically for that this evening, that you would open up our hearts, our ears and our eyes so that we may experience your presence, that we may hear what you're saying and that we may witness the work that you're doing. We thank you for all that you've done, Lord. We take a brief moment out right now, Lord, to pray for Gigi. We pray for her anxiety and the things that she deals with. We lift her up to you. We ask that you give her a peace that surpasses understanding, Lord. We trust you for everything, Lord, and even some of the decisions that are looming over our heads. 
we're feeling like we need to make a decision, we're feeling like we might need to make an adjustment, make a move, do something different, I pray, Lord, that we would stop and we would wait for your voice, Lord, that we would only move when you speak, Lord. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under the bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under the bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. I always have fun doing that one. It just comes from children's ministry all the way up to adults and most of the time you start clapping, people will start clapping along. Um, if you will turn to Galatians chapter 1. Today, we'll just be going through 12 verses in Galatians chapter 1. But I'm very excited to share with you some of the new things that God has shown me. I've taught a few times through the book of Galatians. I've taught a few times through it. And, uh, and I can honestly tell you that this time around, going through it, I saw new things that I never saw before. I saw new um, things jump out to me that I never seen in the book of Galatians. So I'm excited to share those things with you. A big part of the reason why that's so exciting to me is because it, it, it reminds me that God is always speaking fresh. That God is speaking new things. And now keep in mind, I, I, I've heard the, the studies from Pastor Chuck through the book of Galatians. Amazing Bible studies. And then I sat for 13 years in Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs under Pastor Raul Reese and heard him teach through the book of Galatians, heard amazing Bible studies there. And then I went through pastoral school and heard, you know, people in the Bible college there teach through the book of Galatians, amazing things there. And then in the season when I was at Calvary Chapel, Hollywood, I heard from Pastor Greg teach through the book of Galatians and there was amazing things there. And sometimes it's tempting when you're called to be a teacher and God calls you to teach a portion of, of scripture. And then you look and what you naturally want to do is you want to go back and you want to start looking up all these good studies, right? It's tempting for me to be like, man, I know there was some good stuff that Pastor Chuck said. Maybe I should go write a little bit of his notes. And then I'll go to Pastor Rawls and write a little bit of his notes and I'll put together something brand new. But, you know, even though that's tempting because I know there's some really solid Bible studies out there, the Lord always halts me whenever that feeling comes or that thought comes. And he just calls me to go to his word and to really sit at his feet and ask him to speak through his word, speak to my heart, you know. And one of the reasons why that's so important for us as Christians is because you have an opportunity to have what is called revelation of the scriptures or revelation of Christ in your life. And that word revelation just means revealing, means that like it's like your eyes are being opened, you're seeing something you never saw before. And one of the things that's very important for all Christians is to get to a place where they begin to hear God's voice through his word. 
That doesn't mean that that replaces you going to church or listening to a pastor. It means that it affirms you going to church and listening to a pastor. Because then you get to hear a pastor teach. You get to hear somebody speak. And all of a sudden you, you are encouraged because the things that are being spoken, they're jiving with the things that God's saying to you. And then you start to have a, a oneness, a one spirit with the people that you're going to church with and the pastor that you're teaching, that's teaching you. And, and you begin to grow in confidence in God's word. And you also get to grow in confidence in the things that God's putting in your heart and the things that God's speaking through you to your friends and coworkers and family members. And even to yourself as you check yourself or you recognize flaws in yourself. You know, areas where you were going astray, areas where you were making mistakes that you didn't notice before. These are all beautiful results of the revelation of the scriptures in your life. And so as I sat down to teach um, Galatians, you know, there were things I was going through and I said, man, this is all new stuff, Lord. You know, this is all new stuff. And so it was very encouraging to me. And then I could stand confidently in the things I'm going to share with you. Not confident in myself, but confident that the Lord is speaking through people, regular people. And I'm just a regular person, you know, just like you guys. But God speaks and in this season, in this time of history, in this time, you know, the enemy is crafting his unique attack on humanity and on Christianity. But you know what? The Lord is aware of everything that's going on. And he's preparing his people for such a time as this. He's preparing you for such a time as this. That you're not just going to be lost in this land, not knowing what to do, but that you're going to be prepared by the Lord to do exactly what he wants you to do. Whatever the, whatever the outcome is, is irrelevant, only that we're obedient to the Lord. So let's get right into Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is Paul speaking, and he's speaking to the Galatians who are a people, right? And it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul always kind of starts his um, letters kind of in a similar manner. He says, you know, Paul called to be an apostle, right? But he points out, and this one in particular, not through men. And the reason why he does that is because there has been a, a warping in the Christianity here in Galatia with the Galatians. And what I mean by warping is not something that's just outright opposing. It's when something that is going in the right direction bends. And when something going in the right direction bends, when it first bends, it's still very, very close to the right direction. But as that bend gets, you know, stays true, it gets further and further, the further you go down the road, right? It gets further away. And so the reason why Satan loves to use the bend even more so than the opposition, is because you don't see it coming. Uh, let me explain to you. When you're a Christian and something comes in full opposition to you, right, and you're following the Lord, it stands out like a sore thumb. It's coming against you. It's trying to stop what God's doing in your life. It's trying to mess you up. You see those things. You're aware of them. But when you're a Christian walking with the Lord and you start to become, let's say, here's an example of a bend, a little overambitious, Overly ambitious in something you want to do. Not something that God's telling you to do. Just something you really want to do. You want to see change. Or you want to see happen. You become overly ambitious. And the, the problem when we become overly ambitious is we begin to ignore obedience. And we begin to surrender more to our drive. 
right? I just want to see people get saved, bro. That's all I care about now. All I want to do is see people get saved. Well, that's a beautiful heart shared like Christ, right? But the difference is, is that there's nothing greater than being in the presence of God, worshiping God. And then the Lord instructs you, hey, I need you to go share my gospel with this person. And then you watch them get saved and you see that God's heart is to save people. And so you're on fire about that. But see, that's not your ambition. That's your surrender. You see the difference? Your surrender to God and he's speaking to you and he's telling you where to go and what to do. And so you're doing that and you're witnessing the hand, the fingerprint of God. You're, wish, you're witnessing what he's doing. But when you become overly ambitious in what you're trying to do for God, then it, become, it can become easy to become blind and not notice. And you don't realize that now you have something that Satan likes to use even more than straight opposition. And that is a bending from the truth. Because as you get further down the line, you become more dogmatic about things. You become harder to get along with. And all of a sudden, you don't even see yourself because you know where you started was in the same place and the right route. But you've gone off the path and bent. So you see, Paul had to be very specific with the Galatians. Why? Because he's going to use the word perverting. And we're used to use, hearing that word when it comes to like, you know, perverted things like dirty stuff. But really that word perverted isn't just that. What the word perverted means is to twist something, make kind of like that a little bit off, right? For it to not be used in the right way. And that's what was happening in, in, in the Galatians' lives. And so Paul all of a sudden has to come and he has to let them know, hey, listen, the things I'm sharing with you, this isn't my opinion versus their opinion. And that's what happens, doesn't it, whenever we visit people that go to different churches or people that come from different churches and they start to say, well, we try to emphasize on this, bro, because we feel like that's the most important thing. All right, cool, that's a blessing. And then go, yeah, you know, you guys should really pray about it, you know, because that's what God says. Look, it turn to this verse, you know, doesn't God say it's the most important thing right here? And you're like, all of a sudden you realize that... A person is trying to go and, and, and create division. Oh, they're not really like us. They're not really, you know. And so Paul has to go back and tell the people, listen, this isn't my ambition. This isn't my style of ministry. That's another thing that you hear a lot in churches. Oh, the, the style that we do it here. This isn't styles. This isn't a man and him sitting down and saying, you know what? I think this would be a better thing. No, this is a man surrendered to God. Surrender to God. So he's just being obedient to the Lord. And he's not sharing with them his opinion. He's sharing with them the Lord. And his calling is not something that came from anybody else, but directly from the Lord. I'm going to share a couple of things about your calling that I think you guys need to understand or that will be good for you to understand. Um, Concerning your calling in this room, because everybody has a calling in their life. You arrived to where you are in the Lord Because God brought you here. Even in this very room, you arrived in this room because God brought you here. And here's something else encouraging for you. And I want you to understand this. You will end up where God is leading you because he will take you there. Not because you're going to make all the right moves because you're not going to make any mistakes because you belong to him and he's going to take you there. So you got here because he brought you here. And you're going to go where he's taking you, where he's leading you, because he's going to take you there. It's not going to be because you were smart enough or you made yourself shine bright enough to the right pastor who said, hey, you know what? Why don't you come and join? We'll pay for you to be in pastoral school. No, it's not going to be a calculated move or because you're in the right place at the right time, like the way it was when we were in the world, right? That's how we got our jobs or how we met certain people or how we, you know, oh, it was chance, bro. It was all aligned. Well, in the Lord, it's all, 
his doing. He did it. And that's a whole different thing. And it's going to help you guys when you start understanding that your life is surrendered to the will of God, not the chance, not the right place at the right time, not the stars aligned. No, your life belonging to him, being in his hands and him placing you. You could be a whole lot more confident when God places you somewhere versus when you're saying, I, I don't know, I kind of think it's just where, he's, where, where we wound up, you know. Now, sometimes you feel like you wound up somewhere. And then you realize that God placed you there. But one of the things that begins to happen is we begin to lose confidence that we are where God has put us. Are there some things that steal your confidence that God led you where you are? And, you, and that he will sustain you as long as he has you in this place? The answer is, yes, there are some things that can discourage you or steal your confidence in that. The first thing that will steal your confidence that you are where God led you is disobedience in your life. Disobedience will steal your confidence that you are where God brought you. And the only way to combat that is to repent of your disobedience and to begin to obey God. So check it out. Um, sometimes a person finds themselves in a bad relationship that they shouldn't be in and they come to get counsel from a pastor. And now all of a sudden the pastor saying, hey, listen, you got to trust the Lord. You got to give it to God. But in the back of that person's mind, they're already thinking, you know what? I'm in this relationship because I made this relationship happen. Or I've been disobedient to God. I've been living in sin. I've been doing these wrong things. And now I'm with this person. I'm not in the will of God. Well, you see what just happened there in that moment? Disobedience has stole your confidence that you are in the will of God. And here there is a solve for it, though. The solve is to repent and then become obedient to the word of God. The second thing that will steal your confidence that you're in the will of God are your own lies. I'll give you an example. Like, you hear this saying all the time today, right? Fake it till you make it. They say that in the workplace or whatever, you know. But fake it till you make it is not a sound advice from the Lord. Um, maybe at work you get a promotion because you pretended to know what you really didn't know. Or maybe you're in a relationship with a person and that person may only be with you because you pretended to be someone that you really aren't. And what you see is you find yourself in a circumstance that you know if you were completely honest, you probably wouldn't be there. And so it steals the confidence that you are in the will of God. It steals the confidence that you are where God led you because you're starting to realize that maybe I'm here because I lied on my application. Maybe I'm in this relationship because I've told this person I'm everything they ever dreamed of, but really I'm not those things. You know, I'm not being honest. And so lying will steal the the peace in your heart that you are in the perfect will of God. The third thing that will steal the confidence that you are in the perfect will of God is Satan's lies. Now trip out on this because this is one I think that will attack most people in this room. Discouragement. Satan's lies come in two different forms. They come in discouragement and they come in pride. I'm going to share with you how these two things work. First of all, discouragement. Satan will come along and whisper something like this. 
you don't really belong. These people don't really like you or you don't deserve these things. What makes you think you deserve that? And all of a sudden you become beat up and you become a person who thinks you don't deserve the blessings of God. You don't deserve God to fix the things in your life because you're a rotten person or Satan knows what you really did all those years that nobody knows about. And so you feel you feel discouragement. But you know what's funny? Satan doesn't just attack from one side. He's so crafty that he attacks from the opposite side, too. So Satan's lies can show up in discouragement, but Satan's lies can also show up in pride. Chip out on the same enemy using the same using a completely different tactic. Check this out. Satan can attack your walk and your confidence that you're in the will of God with pride. And this is how those those words show up. You deserve better than this. Um, There's better out there. People who will recognize you, treat you better than these people are. You know, you're a talented person. How come you're not the one up there? How come you're not the one over there doing that? And isn't it funny that the same Satan that's telling some who deal with who deal with self-consciousness, he's telling them you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough. But the person that's dealing with pride, Satan's over there whispering, Oh, these people don't even recognize. They didn't you just see that? They didn't even say thank you to you. You did all this stuff, you did that, they didn't even say thank you to you. You deserve better than that. So Satan's telling one person, you don't deserve the goodness of God, just give up. It's not going to work out. You're going to get it in the end. You're going to finally get what's coming to you. And he's telling some other people, hey, you deserve better than this. But either way, both of those lies are stealing from you the confidence that you are in the will of God. That your life belongs to him. It was purchased by him. And that he brought you where you are. And he has a plan for your life. And so you see these three things will steal your confidence that you are where God brought you. First, I want to repeat them. Disobedience will cause you to, to, to not have confidence that you're in the will of God. Your own lies, acting like you're something you're not, or pretending that you're really a right-on Christian and solid when you're struggling like everybody else, and you're making yourself out to seem like something you're not, or you're entering in a relationship that you made yourself out to seem like something you're not, or you got a job because you made yourself look like you knew what you were doing when you didn't. So those are your lies that can, that can um, steal our confidence that we're in the will of God. And lastly, one of the things that really breaks my heart is Satan's lies in our lives, right? So each one of these things has a fix. Um, disobedience, God calls us to repent and then become obedient. Um, lies, God calls us to tell the truth, right? To repent of lying and speak the truth. And then when it comes to Satan's lies, there also is a solve. The book of, uh, the, the book of James says in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. In short, don't listen to what the devil is saying to you. But listen to what God is saying to you. And you rest on the promises of God. Check this out, guys. Um, a perfect example for me. I serve at... Um, Redeemed Church Fellowship, which is, it's a Calvary. It's an offshoot of Calvary. We came from Calvary Chapel. Um, But at Redeemed Church, you know, every once in a while, the thought starts to come in my mind, like, is this where you're calling me to be, God? Is this where you want me to be? Is this the place that you're telling me to be? And all of a sudden, I I stop and I'm like, what? Why am I asking this question? And the reason why is because in one way or another, my confidence is being broken. 
You know, I have to assess my life um, and ask myself, is there any area of disobedience in my life right now? I ask myself, is there any area that I'm not being transparent and honest, right? Is there, is there maybe like a lot of fighting going on between my wife, but then I come in with a smiley face and act like everything's okay, you know? And that's me sort of portraying myself as something I'm not, you know? And Satan could rob me of my confidence that I am in the will of God, or am I heeding the lies of Satan in my ear that, that is telling me either messing with my self-consciousness that you're not good enough, you know, or messing with my pride and saying that you're not being recognized or, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that I deserve something more. I deserve something better. And you see, either way, I need to repent. I need to get rid of all of that because here's the bottom line. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and you belong to him. And so God does, you are in the will of God. And the only thing you need is to just maintain obedience to God. Maintain your obedience to God and he will lead you. You won't have to sit there and make a decision on whether to stay at that church or to go over there or whether you're supposed to start doing worship or you're not supposed to start doing worship or am I supposed to start helping out in children's ministry or not? That's not my calling. Or am I supposed to start greeting people? No, that's not my All of these forks in the road that so many Christians wrestle with, they wouldn't have to wrestle with it anymore. You know why? Because all they would do is be surrendered to the voice of God. When you surrender to the voice of God, there isn't a fork in the road anymore. Does that make sense? If you're, not, if you're not hearing whether I should go right or left, you just don't. And you wait on God. That means wait on God. And then when God says go right, you don't say, oh, but I'm better at this. You just obey God, right? And all of a sudden it gets easy. But it's, we complicate it so badly as Christians. Why? Because we're not confident that we're in the will of God. And we're starting thinking, oh, maybe I should have stayed at that church over there. Or maybe I should have stayed in that relationship and gave it a chance. You know, oh, man, I probably should have never took this job. You know, all of these things can be, you can be set free from these things because all you do is you just give it to God. And then you say, you know, Lord, there's a fork in the road in front of me to leave this job or to stay or to take this job or not take this job. And I'm not going to make a decision until you speak to me. I'm not going to go right or left or leave or stay. I'm not going to do anything until you tell me to do these things. And then I'm going to do them out of obedience because it is not my will, but your will for my life. And I'm going to trust you, Lord. You know, and there's some questions like, like in marriage, like, you know, don't give up on your marriages. If they crumble before you and they're taken from you and you lose them, it's not your fault. It happens sometimes. But you know what? Don't ever stop praying and keeping God in the center of everything that you're doing. Right? And so you see Paul here in verse 1. He's confident in his stance and where he is. He's not like sitting there like, man, I hope I got it right. Lord, here I am going to tell these people that they need to do this. They need to stop doing that. I hope I'm hearing from you, God. I hope I'm right. No, he doesn't have that. He's like, "I'm, I'm your servant, Lord. And the things I speak are the things you tell me to say. And that's all that there is. So take a look at verse two. Paul said in verse one that, let me just read one and two together. Paul, an apostle, not, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's showing the oneness of Christ and God there. 
And then he says in verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. Now, there's something very important in verse 2 that I want to make sure I unpack. Paul knew that he was one with other believers. Chip out on this. Paul knew that he was one with other believers. What does that mean? Let's start with what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that you're the same as each other in this room. Clearly, we are not all exactly the same as each other in this room, right? We're a little bit different. Um, I am not the same as you guys. I am not the same as other pastors. I'm different and I'm unique. And you're different and you're unique. And God didn't make us to be the same as each other, but he did make us to be one. And I want to explain this to you guys so that you can understand it so that it makes sense to you, you know, instead of it just like, what does that mean? We're, we're not the same as each other, but we're one. Well, you should not be discouraged at the differences that you have. Have you ever been discouraged at the differences between you and other Christians? Maybe prayer comes around, right? And like you start to pray and the pastor there is like, or the person's like, I'll pray, pastor. And then he says, oh, sure, come on up and pray. And that person gets up and they're like, heavenly father, we come before your glorious presence and we lift up, Lord, you know. And hey, I'm not making fun of that because like you could see people that are genuine sometimes. You're listening. You're like, man, that was beautiful. And then the pastor's like, hey, why don't you pray? And you're like, no, nah, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to pray because, you know, I can't do it like that. And become discouraged that you're not that person, you know? What about when you meet those people's families, right? You're, you're in a family or you're in a marriage. You meet those families and they're just like, oh, come along, you know, Bobby. And he just listens. And, and the, then the husband and wife are just staring at each other. You're so beautiful. Oh, you're so beautiful. I love you so much. And you're looking. You're just like, damn, I wish I had it like that. I don't know about that. You know, my marriage is not really like that. And then the pastor says, the pastor says, hey, uh. Um, I'd like you to come uh, for, for the couple's um, Bible study, and I want you to lead a prayer. And you, all of a sudden, Satan comes along, right? Like we were talking about earlier, whispering in your ear. Dude, who do you think you are? Like, look at the way your marriage is. Do you think you're going to go and pray in front of those people? And so we start to get discouraged. We start to get discouraged in the differences, right? Or maybe my vocabulary isn't as big as my favorite pastor that I hear on the radio, and I'm like, Lord, I, I'm not going to teach, dude. I don't have that vocabulary like those dudes. Or maybe there's another dude who not, he doesn't have a big vocabulary, but he just brings the fire. Every time he teaches, he's like, oh, you know, and everybody's paying attention and nobody's distracted. And, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, dang, I don't have it like that guy either. You know, man, I don't have the intellectual and I don't have the power that that guy has. You know, I'm lost. Like, I'm not going to make it and start to become discouraged in the differences. Well, listen, God made us all different. But he made us all one in one body. I want to read you guys a, another verse real quick. You don't have to turn there. That can be tricky too when a pastor just keeps jumping everywhere in the Bible. And you're like, man, oh, I'm not even there yet. You're already reading it. I'm just going to read it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18, 18 through 22, it says this. But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member... There would, uh, where would be the body? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. 
And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. We're one body in Christ, but we're not the same as each other. And some parts of your body don't belong where other ones are. You, you might be thinking this right now. Okay, I hear what you're saying. You know, we all need to be one and we're all different. But let me tell you something, Mikey. Like, there's some people I can't jive with. I'm trying. Like, I see them. I listen and talk. And I, dude, I can't get down with them. Like, they, whenever I'm with them and they, they start going off on their thing, you know, I'm just like, dude, I can't fit with them. And you start beating yourself up thinking there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not strong enough yet. You know, I need to get stronger where I could be able to deal with that type of person, you know, and you just can't stand that type, you know. Well, listen, not all members of the body are, are made to be connected to each other. It would look kind of weird, wouldn't it, if somebody had a foot growing off of their head? Imagine you met somebody that had a, a foot growing off of their face. Wouldn't that be strange if, if you met somebody and there was a foot growing off of their face? It doesn't belong there, right? But it would be weird, too, if I took my shoe off and there was another face right there. That would be weird, wouldn't it? So it's that every, every member of the body has its role. And sometimes pastors get too carried away and trying to make sure that everybody can fit together. No, we could all be one in Christ. There's certain personality types, certain brothers that, you know, it's hard for me. You know, and I get a guy who's too touchy with me. He's always pushing me and poking me. I struggle with that. I just really do. It, it, it starts, it's hard for me to focus. You know, certain things that irritate me or, or frustrate me. And I try, I am trying to surrender those things to God. But you know what? Then again, there's other members of the body that I jive very beautifully with. That when I talk to them, when they talk to me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm growing and I'm thinking, man, like I love talking to that guy, you know, and I'm really jiving. And you start to see where the fingers meet the palm, you know, where the palm meets the forearm, you know. You start to see, like, you know, where the eyes, you know, meet the eyebrows. And, and as members in the body, you know, we are one body. And just because you can't put a, a foot on a face or a face in a shoe, you know, but that doesn't mean that the shoe, the foot's not important. And it doesn't mean that the face isn't important. And you start to understand that. You know, God's doing things through people's lives that you don't always get along with. And so you start to pray for them. You start to ask God to use their life, even if you're not able to stand right next to them all the time. Or, you know, you might not be best friends that are always going at each other's houses, and that's okay. But can you understand that when a person's walking down the street, they're not trying to walk in two separate directions? When a human being is walking down the street, they aren't simultaneously trying to walk that way in the street and that way in the street. They're not trying to do those things at the same time. And, and, and because they're working harmoniously. And so we can work as members of the body harmoniously. And Paul, in the beginning of Galatians and his greetings, the first thing that he says is how assured he is of what God has called them to do. And the second thing is he reminds the people that they are all one with each other. That they are one and that doesn't mean they're the same as each other. So be encouraged today that you're not the same as everybody else because God didn't make you to be the same as everybody else. But you're a unique individual and God has a beautiful plan for your life, which includes all of those things that you desire in your heart and those things that 
in, at night when you're awake and you're thinking, I wish I had that, Lord. I wish I had those things. God has a plan for your life. And he's going to do some really great things if you just surrender your life to him and keep following him. And that's such a beautiful thing and very encouraging. Verse 3 through 5 says, To the church in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this um, present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so here Paul in this portion of scripture mentions the present evil of this age. How important is it for us to be aware of present evil that has been tailored by the enemy for this time in history. Now, I want you to track with me what I just said, because it's very important for you to understand. Sometimes when we lean so heavily that the, that the Christians of the past or the leaders of the past, they had it all together, right? Sometimes we begin to get a false sense of confidence in that. And I'm going to explain to you how. The enemy is not just coming up with a tactic and then just setting it out there to see how long it will work. The Bible says that he walks to and fro from the earth like a lion seeking whom he may devour, that he is watching. Remember when he went to Job? Did what, what, when he went to God about Job? When Satan went to God about Job, didn't he bring up some specifics that applied specifically to Job? Wasn't he like, hey, I know your servant's faithful to you. And I know, well, if he wouldn't have said those things, if he didn't know that, that means he was watching Job. So when he was watching Job, he noticed some stuff and he tailored an attack on Job's character. He went to the father and he said, I see that Job is faithful to you, but he's only faithful to you because you do everything for him. You provide for him. If you stop providing for him, he won't be faithful to you. That means that Satan is the type to be watching the uniqueness of the people on earth, the way that they are, the tendencies that they have, the ways that they're weak. He's studying them and watching them and he's coming up with a specific plan for them. And here's where we miss the step because I'm all about old school books, guys. I'm all about it. Library full of old school authors. I think that's where a lot of the meat comes from. But here's what sometimes happens, right? Like there's things happening around us in the world that the world has never seen, that Christians have never seen. And all everything that we need is found in Christ and in the text. So every one of your favorite authors of the past that are saying amazing things that you're enjoying when you're listening to those things or reading those books, where do you think they got those things? They got them through Christ from the text by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the same thing that they were up to, the same thing that they were doing is available for you to do. The difference is they were living in a different time than you are. That doesn't mean that Christians need to constantly be changing and keeping up with the times. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to be in tune with the voice of the Lord so that we're aware of what our enemy is up to. And we're not going to get that from just regurgitating, that means just repeating something that some great pastor said. We're only going to get that by seeking the Lord and seeking his wisdom. And so we find that Satan is, it's important that Christians know they're aware of a present evil that is tailoring 
an attack for this age is very important. Now, it's not as important as knowing the Lord. Don't ever become a person who thinks that studying your enemy is more important than knowing your God. Because then you'll go amiss on that one. You want to be a person who focuses on Christ. When all the chaos is going around, your eyes are on the Lord. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have your eyes open and be aware of what Satan is doing. It is still very important that Christians understand that there is a present evil. That's why Paul mentioned it here in the text. Notice what he said. I'll read it again. Verse four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age. That means currently what God was doing and what, and what Satan was doing. If your idea, trip out on this, try to track with me on this, guys. If your idea of your enemy is limited to you being a drug addict or drunk or cheating on your spouse, then you are unaware of your enemy. Sure, he does want those things. He wants you to be a drug addict, a drunk, or cheat on your spouse, but that's not the limit of his attacks. In fact, his biggest tactic will come from the desires of your own flesh and not just evil desires either. Satan will come to you with a product that you want, but on a very crappy deal. You guys saw Little Mermaid, right? In the movie Little Mermaid, in the movie Little Mermaid, the girl just wants to be able to walk. And she makes a deal with who? She makes a deal with Ursula, right? You guys remember that story? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, she says, well, listen, if you, if you can convince him to fall in love with you, cool. But if not, you're mine. And so all of a sudden, what she wants is so big in her mind that she's not listening to all the fine detail. And she says, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just give me what I want. And we always think that Satan's coming and he's like, oh, yeah, you could tell. You know, it's so sad what Satan's doing in everyone's life. Look at all the kids stuck on drugs. Look at all the people out there, you know, um, uh, alcoholics. And, you know, look at all those people that are cheating on their spouses. Yeah, that is true. And those are things that Satan is doing. But you know what you're not looking at? You're not looking at Satan feeding you all the things that you wanted in your flesh and making a deal with you that is rotten. And you're sitting there saying, oh, if only I go, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this pastor my notes and say, hey, look, I, I've been studying. Look how good this came out. Or, oh, I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to say, hey, could you use me for that? Or, oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go and share my heart and everybody's going to hear it. And they're going to go, wow, man, that guy's really filled with the Holy Spirit. Or, oh, you know what? I really want this in my heart. I'm going to go, whatever it is. I really want to be with that person. You know, I have a crush on him and I want, so that becomes your goal. And now all of a sudden Satan begins, who's watching He's looking at the things that you want and he's tailoring a plan and offer for you to draw you, right? And so remember, Satan is not just limited to these extreme things that you see going on around you. That is the work of Satan. But those, when you see a drug addict on drugs or you see an alcoholic drunk or you see a person cheating or guys going into strip clubs, you see those things, those people are already in Satan's palm. They're already in his palm. He's just feeding them a little candy to keep them there. But you know who his real enemy is? That's not his enemy. They're in his palm. You know who his real enemy is? Christians. 
That's his enemy. And when he comes to them, you think he's going to come so obviously in the front door, be like, oh, here's some drugs, you know, ruin your marriage. Oh, here's get drunk, you know, ruin your life. Well, cheat on your wife with this hot chick right here or this guy that's always complimenting how nice your eyes are or whatever. Here, cheat, dude. The Christian's like, dude, I'm not going to, what do you, that's not how he shows up for Christian's lives. He shows up with our ambitions that are a little bit amiss. All of a sudden we start becoming obsessed with certain things always running in our mind. You know, um, some pastors have, in times past have been guilty of what is called pet topics. Means that every sermon all of a sudden keeps circling back to the same subject every time. You know, politics or voting or... You know, police officers, or, and these are all true things, right? Abortion, they're all, everything is very important stuff. But see, what happens is once what's coming out of our mouth as believers has gone from just surrender to God and God saying, I need you to say this, and it's gone to become our ambition. It's what I want to say, what I want to see happen, what I, I become obsessed on a certain thought and what i like to refer to this as and try to track with me on this guys is branches growing on trees right so here's just a few branches for you guys to know about on a solid tree a solid tree the foundation the the roots and the and the trunk of the tree is jesus christ and the bible let's say the roots are the bible and the trunk is christ right and we're connected directly to christ and that's a strong christian and then growing on, these, on this trunk are branches. And then you see evangelism, right? Or you see theology. Sometimes people, they're studying some really good books. And there's some deep subjects about, you know, prophecy or, you know, there's all of these branches growing. Oh, psychology, being able to sit down with a person, understand what they're going through, help them through the trauma of their childhood, the things that happened to them and how, how that messed them up. That's a branch a health that could grow on a healthy tree. A pastor's able to, you know, counsel. A pastor's able to see the things that are coming in the future that are happening, coming upon us. Uh, pastors can be, you know, growing on this tree of Christians can be awareness of what, you know, the government's lying to us about, right? These are things that can grow on a healthy tree. Evangelism, leading people to the, uh, mission trips, like going to other countries. And shit. these are all branches growing on a healthy tree. But anybody here who's ever seen people who work with plants and trees, every once in a while you get a tree and the limb starts to grow so big that it starts breaking the tree. You ever seen that? You ever seen a little, you ever walk by down the street and you see a tree and there's a little stick holding up an arm? And then all of a sudden you come a gardener, you have the beautiful rose bush and all the roses were all big and the bush is all big. And then winter's coming, the gardener comes and he chops that thing down to a little stub like this. Yeah, like, what did he do? Look what he did to our rose garden. What is that? Or the guys come, they trim the trees, right? And that beautiful tree that gave you all the shade and now all of a sudden that big old limb is broken off of it, sawed off of it and the tree's all small. You think, why did he do this? And you're all mad that your tree got its arm cut off or that your the bush, your rose bush is all small. But anybody who really knows plants, who really knows trees, knows that those things needed to be trimmed back. Why? Because a, 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 a arm branch was growing wild and it's actually going to harm the tree. 
And let me tell you something. When you become obsessed with what you're about, you're not obsessed with what God's about. You're obsessed with what you're about. And when you become obsessed with what you're about, you're not focusing on the trunk of the tree. You're focusing on a branch that you're all about. And you become too obsessed and that's the only thing you feed. You feed it, you feed it, you feed it. It grows bigger and bigger. And what's it doing? It's harming itself. Now, when you're married, you're one with your spouse. And many times, let me tell you this from firsthand experience, many times when one of your branches is growing out of whack, the reason why you're not noticing is because it's hurting the people next to you. You're not noticing. And it's not that this branch is wrong. If it shrank back a little bit and it was just one of the branches on the tree, it's good. Any one of those branches I talked about is a good branch. But let, let me just give you an example. Let's just take any random one of them. I, I wish I could let you guys choose one even. Maybe let's just say evangelism. Let's just throw one out. Evangelism, a branch growing on a solid tree. Hey, brother, last weekend we went out. 20 people gave their life to the Lord. What could be more important than, than winning people to Christ, right? Yeah, that's true. And then let's go out next week. Are you guys going to come? Actually, I got practice. Dude, I can't go. Oh, dude. Oh, so you could come sit in church and get all fat on the word, but you're not willing to go out and put in work, right? You're not willing to go out and say, that's more important than that. Then all of a sudden, as the, this group is growing and a lot of people are starting to go because a lot of people are getting saved. And then all of a sudden, the guy leading is like, hey, how come pastor doesn't ever come out here with us? You know, we're always over there and he's like, you know, teaching us the word and all that, but he's never out here and putting in the work in the trenches where people are getting saved. Well, you guys are seeing it, right? 30 people today. What could be more important than that? Let me tell you right now, that branch is growing out of whack. Because the moment that you switch from being somebody that surrendered to God, where you're just excited and can't believe what God's doing, to start becoming a person that is obsessed with what you're trying to do for God, you missed it. Your branch is growing out of whack. It's getting too big and it's going to hurt you or it's going to hurt people around you. It's going to hurt the body. It's going to hurt the whole tree. And that's why it's so important for us as Christians to reel it back and stay humble and stay surrendered to God. It's important for us to stay surrendered to God because that way the main thing stays the main thing and all these branches could go beautifully on this tree. Right? And so Satan always is going to come and try to mess things up. Let's look at verse 6 together. We're halfway through our study, guys. Probably even closer. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. A different gospel. Um, what does that mean? Well, he's going to say right now in verse 7 that there isn't really a different gospel. There's only one gospel. And what does the word gospel mean? It means good news. The good news that Christ died for us and that he saved us and that we are a result of what he's doing. And so he says, I marvel that you turn to a different gospel. While he corrects that, check it out, look at verse 7. He makes it clear. Verse 7 says, which is not another gospel. Meaning there's not two gospels. There's only one gospel. And that's the good news that, of what Christ has done, right? But look what he says in the second part of verse 7. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, we learned a little while ago about that word pervert, meaning twisting it, changing it. And I want to help you guys understand this, right? Give you an illustration uh, of how something, people always say this, like, well, if God's so good, why did he create evil? Right? Have you guys ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, if God's so good, why did he create evil then? Why didn't he just leave it out? 
How come he wasn't just like, you know what, I'm just not going to throw that in the mix. Well, it's because he, did, he didn't create evil. Evil is what happens when you twist something that's good. Like, uh, let's have perfectly, five perfectly strong horses and one perfectly designed cart. And, and the ropes are perfect, right? It's like, the, like, like Santa's sleigh kind of, right? It's a, it's a sleigh and, and these horses are going to pull it, right? And so there's nothing wrong with these horses, there's nothing wrong with the lines connected to the horses. And there's nothing wrong with this sleigh. But there's one problem. The guy who's putting it all together, he's putting the sleigh and he's trying to teach the horses how to push the sleigh. He's trying to teach the horses how to push this thing down the road. And that's not going to work, is it? If you're going to have horses, four horses, five horses, six horses, trying to push one sleigh, it's not going to work. So what did you have? Was there something wrong with the design of the horse? Was there something wrong with the design of the ropes? Was there something wrong with the design of the slate? No, there wasn't. There was a misorder happening there. I'm going to get you guys' attention right here. Watch. I got you. Here's another example of how things are right but can be twisted. Let's talk about sex. All of a sudden got quiet. Oh, look at the giggles. You guys have been giggling all service anyways, though, so I ain't even tripping. Within a marriage, intimacy strengthens. But in Satan's hand, he turns intimacy into an industry. And now all of a sudden it's hurting people and it's ruining lives. It's all good. I gave you guys something to laugh about now instead of just laughing for no reason. (laughs) So what God gives in his right order is then... Ruined when it's put out of order. Are y'all good? Don't you? So God gave something that strengthens a marriage, but then Satan goes and takes and turns it into an industry and it ruins a marriage, ruins lives. Here's another good example. Food, right? Food is nourishment. Without food, you'll die. But what is gluttony? Gluttony is the abuse of food. You guys got to pray for me. I think I'm a little bit struggling with gluttony here a little bit. But, but listen, you take something that God created that's good and you twist it and you turn it into something bad. That happens with intimacy. That happens with food. And in some cases, as Paul's talking right here, it happens with the gospel. It isn't that God created two gospels or there's a bad one. It's that they're twisting what the gospel is. Now, if you catch nothing else in this Bible study, catch this because it's very, very important. Put your glove up and catch the ball that I'm pitching to you. Jesus is the one doing a mighty work through man. Jesus, track with me. Jesus is doing an amazing thing through regular people. What does that mean? That means it's something that God did. What about... When Christians are trying to do their mighty work in the name of God. Is that the same? That's not the same. It's a different motive. I want to share with you the difference. 20 people get saved. And it all happened because a Christian was allowing God to do a mighty work through him. God gets all the glory. But a Christian goes to a place where all these kids like skateboards 
and he takes a bunch of skateboards with him and he gives out a bunch of free skateboards and all the kids are like, heck yeah, this is cool. And then he says, hey, I'll give you guys all, I'll give you guys all a t-shirt to go with it if you say this prayer real quick with me. So the kids all say the prayer and then he gives them the t-shirt and he goes back and he says, 20 people got saved. And let me share with you the difference. He may be doing it for God. He may be doing it because he wants to see a change. But the difference is not what happened, the outcome. The difference is one is a man surrendered to what God is doing through a person versus a man trusting what he can do for God. And this is where we miss, even mature Christians miss so so often. The gospel is what God did, not what we did. The gospel is what God did. Jesus is the one doing the mighty work through mankind versus Christians doing their mighty works in the name of God. They're not the same. Why am I bringing that up? Because that was the problem that the Galatians were having. They were starting to become a church that was based on works, meaning that they were trying to tally up how many good things they're doing, how many good results they're getting, how effective are they, how many people are you know, how many, how many, how is it working? Is it happening? You know, this person's been doing this much. You know, they should be recognized. This person's been doing more. They should be recognized. And then you start, you know, turning a group of people into a group of people that are trying to do what they can in the name of God rather than surrender their lives to God and let him do what he wills to do. The result is way different. People walk away praising God for who he is versus walking away saying, man, that pastor's so dope. That guy's such a good teacher. Oh, that guy's so awesome. I love that guy. And he doesn't even see it because he think he's doing it in the name of God. It should be good, right? Let's look at verse eight and nine. But even if we are an angel of heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have already preached to you, let him be accursed. We have said before, so how, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. It's important for us to know that the gospel that he's talking about that he preached is that Jesus came and he did it, not that you believed and you did it. Listen carefully, this is very important. That you understand that Jesus came and he did it, not that you believed and you did it, because that's what the Pharisees had. They knew they believed in God. They knew that they knew the commandments. They knew they knew who God was, right? But they didn't really know who God was. They were like this gospel that was perverted, that they believed and they did it. And the difference for us as Christians is that Jesus came and he did it. And even if tonight's Bible study, if some word gets through, if it penetrated somebody's heart, if there's something in you that you're feeling like, man, I heard, I feel like God's tugging on my heart. That's not something I did. That's something God's doing, right? Now, don't get me wrong. You have a free will and a choice to make, but that choice is surrender. I was talking to a brother recently and I had this conversation with him and I remember this conversation ended with a very important instruction for him. You will find the will of God in your life, not 
at the end of your clenched fist, but at the open hands of surrender to the Lord. Submitted to God's instruction in your life. One of the hardest things for a man to overcome is he's going to buckle down. He's going to fight for what's right. He's going to fight for it. He's going to make it happen. He's going to. But listen, when you stand before the Lord with clenched fists, God says, no, not yet, son. I need to see your palms. Because when a man starts showing his palms to the Lord, a man starts to say, it's not what I'm doing for you, God. It's what you're doing. It's what you're doing in my life, what you're doing in my heart, what you're doing in my marriage, what you're doing in my, in my, in my home. You're changing me. You're not going to find this at the end of a clenched fist. You know, wives, don't, don't be bitter at your husbands. Husbands, don't, don't, be, don't be stern because you want to see what God could do in your homes, in your families, in your marriages. You want to see what, what, what God could do through this little sinful man if he's just surrendered and trust that God's going to do something. I'll say it one more time. You will find the will of God in your life, not at the end of clenched fists, but at the open hand of surrender to the Lord, submitted to his instructions. Verse 10. For do I not persuade men or God? Or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This is the stuff that your spirit wants to know, but this is not the stuff that your flesh wants to hear. I'm not here to tell you what your flesh wants to hear. I'm here to tell you what I know your spirit needs to grow, what you need in your life. And that is Paul, when he was teaching, when he was going to the Galatians, when he was talking to them, he wasn't just saying the things that the people wanted to hear in that room. He was telling them the truth so that their eyes would be open. And we can't be people who are seeking just to please men, just to please our family members, just to please the people that come to our churches. We have to be surrendered. We have to be bigger than that and that we have to be just speaking what God's speaking. That we are just an echo for the voice of God. And that we speak truth, not our own agendas. Not because we think we have more insight of what's really going on. No, that's still the clenched fist. But surrender to God and say, Lord, when you tell me to speak, I'll speak when you tell me to speak. We're going to close with 11 and 12 and we'll read those together. And that will be the end of our Bible study today. But, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, guys, there's one thing in all the years I've been in ministry and all the churches and all the seasons I've been, I've seen very solid believers. I've seen people be taught in the scriptures. I've seen people memorize scriptures and know the word and listen to sound Bible teachers. But one of the things that is so often missing in the body of believers is men who are having revelation of Christ and revelation of the scriptures. That is people that are reading the Bible and hearing God's voice in their life. Instead of reading the Bible and saying, oh, I remember when so-and-so taught this. Let me go look his notes up. He's really good in this part. Listen, that's not, that's, not, that's not feeling the power. 
There's a there's power in this book. There's power here that's available to any person. It's not going to be because you you are super smart, have a big vocabulary. You know, God's really been ministering to me at looking at the style of Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus spoke in parables a lot. You know, it's interesting. Whenever I, I growing up, I would hear certain teachers, and I'd think, man, like. I go up to them, hey, what books are you reading? And they would give me a list of their books. And I would try to go buy those books from the library. That was one of the things I wanted to do when I knew I was saved and I knew I had a calling in my life. And I just wanted, what, what books are you, who are you listening to? Oh, I'll listen to Pastor Chuck, you know, his C2000 series. Boom, I go buy that series, you know. Hey, what book are you reading? Oh, I've been reading this book. Oh, what's that? Which authors? No, oh, Spurgeon, you know, read that. Oh, boom, I'll go buy the book and start reading the book right away. You know, and, and then, I'll, oh, that's where he got that. Oh, dang, that's cool. And start growing. And then I would start growing in this confidence because I read the same books. And I'll be speaking somewhere, sharing somewhere. I'll be like, you know, it was like Spurgeon once said, you know, or whatever. And I'm, I'm repeating these things that I heard other teachers say, you know, but none of that requires revelation from the scriptures in my life. And you know what else it suggests to other people? It suggests to other people that if they too would read the same books I'm reading, if they too would listen to the same guys I'm listening to, then maybe they could have a little piece of the pie. And listen, the saddest thing about that is none of that has anything to do. What the? <laughs> none of that has anything to do with, with the Lord speaking to you through the word. And when Jesus spoke in parables, it didn't make the disciples say, man, who are you reading when you got that? Oh, wow. Where did you hear that, Jesus? He was actually simplifying a complicated message, not showing off a complicated message. He was simplifying it to simple people understanding it so that they weren't saying, wow, you're, man, where did you study? You got skills. Instead, they were just like, that makes sense to me. I understand that. And if that's our aim, listen, then we're not just trying to make ourselves sound like the smartest. And then what you heard me mention earlier, prayer, when you're like, man, I, like I pray is all good. And if I had to pray, I would stumble at all. Well, listen, Jesus, if, that, if Jesus wanted to hear the, that he would have been, oh, you got to read this author. And you got to no. he was speaking in parables, meaning he was simplifying complicated things and making them small. So listen, if you can pray with intention that God is showing you in the scriptures, when you read the Bible, even when there's 10 things you didn't understand, but there's that one thing that God spoke to you, and you're like, I heard you, God. And then you're at work, and the person's getting water right next to you. They're like, you know what's so crazy? I just can't seem to figure out. And all of a sudden, you're thinking about that verse that God gave to you, and you're just like, oh, man. like, You see, that didn't take you being some great words. It just took you having revelation of the scriptures and of Jesus in your life. Jesus spoke in parables because he wanted people just to understand the complicated message. You guys heard me bring up Little Mermaid. My, my aim, my hope was that, you know, there'll be something that somebody say, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. Oh, I see what he's saying. Right. Anyways, the main thing that I want you guys to understand is that uh, is to be confident that you are in the will of God. If you feel like there's a move coming in your life, a decision to be made, you want to make that decision based on what God's speaking to you. And then you want to make sure that you're repenting of, you know, lies in your own life and that you're not heeding to the lies of the enemy and that you're trusting that you're in the will of God. And most of all, that you realize that the gospel is, a, is an example 
of what Christ did, not what godly men are doing for God. And in that, we're all the same. And even though we're different parts of the body and we're not the same as each other, we have a purpose. And God's got a plan for each one of us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the, the challenges and the things that sharpen us, Lord. I thank you for even the rocks in the road that trip us up. Because I know that you can use them to make us sharper. I know also, Lord, that a marriage that's tested is a, mar- is a marriage that endures. And so we, we surrender to your testing in our lives. We pray for our family members, Lord. We pray for those that are struggling right now with decisions that they feel like they need to make. We lift them up to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, for City Terrace. I pray for those in this room, for, for the young ladies sitting here, I lift them up to you. I pray for your protection in their life. For my brother in the back, his years of serving and walking with you and the things that he's seen and the difficulties that he's faced, his concern for his family. For my sister here with her dog and the things that she's gone through, Lord, the, the things spoken and the things unspoken. And for my sister who sits over here on the side, I lift her up to you, Lord, and I just pray that you would just protect her heart and that you would remind her of the promises that you still have in store for her, that you know the desires of her heart and you still have in store those beautiful things that are from you, God. Things that won't hurt her, but that they will help her and guide her in the right direction. For my brother Michael and his wife and the beautiful work that you've done and the way that you've spoken and that you've been so gracious, Lord. And the way that you make a promise that we can continue to grow and we can continue to change and continue to hear your voice and be refined and be better husbands and better wives and be used by you for your glory, Lord. For my nephew Landon, who's always so faithful to have my back and go with me where I go. I thank you for him and the discussions that we have. I pray for Angel, who who has always done his best, who believes, Lord, that he can't do it on his own, but that greater is he who lives in us than he who's in the world. And I know he trusts that, and for his wife, that you would encourage that you would bless them and that you would speak to them. For my own wife, I lift her up to you, my daughter and the little one on the way. You would protect them and that you would help me to be the man I'm supposed to be. And forgive me, Lord, for the shortcomings in my life, the areas that I don't recognize, I fall short. I pray for my own home church and for my pastor, Rochelle and Lissette and you would bless them, you would encourage them, and you would provide for them. And I pray for Gigi, who we prayed for earlier, Lord. You would help her, and that you would encourage her, and that you would free her from the anxieties. I lift up everybody in this room. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you guys.